Hi there. Thanks for listening. This episode is sponsored by Matt, the Mortgage Guy, a California mortgage broker and real estate investor with your interest in mind. For good, honest advice and any of your residential financing needs, go ahead and shoot him a message at matt at themortgageguy.com or feel free to text him directly at 916-529-7600. Remember, when you're ready to apply, call Matt, the Mortgage Guy. And just so you know, for one rental at a time fans, he is waiving his $6.95 processing fee. Take care. This is your daily financial news. We do these news shows seven days a week. I always target 7.30. We do them live, no editing, just so we can get it done and, and move on with the rest of our days. First couple of things for you following the channel. Yes, we were up early again this morning. Knocked out uh, a couple of things on the 75 hard challenge. Read the book, did the first workout. Uh, drank more than half a gallon of water already. Pretty crazy. All things part of the challenge. And really is kind of re-energizing, changing mindset. It is really a mental shift as it is a physical shift. So I am a fan. I'm enjoying it. I think today's day eight or day nine. And I'm having a blast. Uh, next up, we will do a live Q&A at 8 a.m. Pacific, so in about 29 minutes. Uh, I need to do a better job of advertising it during the week. Uh, I just do a bad job of those things, just like I always forget to ask for thumbs up in comments and subscriptions and all of those good things. Uh, we're just going to keep moving forward, and I thank you for all of your support. We get about 1,500 daily views on this financial news. So thank you for very much for being a returning viewer. And if this is your first time watching it, these are usually 10 to 12 minutes and we just get on with our day. So thank you for all of that. Uh, where should I start? First and foremost, oh, those asking Jimbo, he's right here. He's sleeping. He got me up at 4.18 this morning and uh, he was with me while I was working out and now he's asleep and I'm going to let him sleep instead of waking him up. Uh, so uh, we're going to first talk about the week ahead. Uh, the week ahead is something all of us are going to have to pay attention to. It is uh, likely the most active week for earnings. It is certainly the most active week for the S&P 500. We have over 100 companies, so over 20% of the S&P 500 reporting next week with such heavyweights of Apple, uh, which could report its first $100 billion quarter. That is pretty crazy. Uh, Facebook, Microsoft, and the big and almighty Tesla. So again, a big week for earnings. It is going to be interesting, again, not only beating top and bottom and just watching how bad analysts are, which is kind of funny after watching the bank earnings from last week. But for me, it's going to be who is talking about the future still, Last time I checked, greater than 50% of companies are yet to give a forward-looking guidance. That is going to be a change. I don't know that it happens now, but maybe it's next quarter. I'm certainly hopeful it's the quarter after that. So that is some very interesting things to watch. So uh, something else to watch next week that is going to be big news is we're going to get our first taste of Q4 GDP. It'll be the first print. We will get revisions going forward. But it's going to be interesting to see what happened in Q4. They're expecting a growth rate of 4.7%. Uh, they are expecting a yearly 
first report of the year at negative, negative 3.5%. Now remember the math from memory, we were down 35 or 36% in Q2. We were up about that same in Q3, but again, statistics lie. So remember a smaller base since the percentage looks different. So we will see. We will likely have a negative year. 2020 kind of deserves to be a negative year, right? It was just all bad. Let's put a negative print and let's make 2021 a better year. Remember also from Q4, we talked about on this channel, retail sales limped into the end of the year. They got considerably worth worse month one, month two, and month three. Month three posting a negative 0.7%. And that was that was a surprise. They were expecting a negative one from my memory. We got unemployment claims again on Thursday. That's a market moving number at this point. We're two weeks over 900, right? Where does that go? And a number I failed to mention last Thursday, but was picked up in our expert conversation with Jonathan Twomley on Thursday was 3 million people, 3 million people fell off unemployment, which means they exhausted the normal six months. They exhausted the emergency 13 weeks. That's pain. That's pain. That's going on. So that is something I am going to be watching to see if it if that was just like a one one week or one month blip, but that's that's a huge number. So we'll see what we're going from there. Uh, other things that we are going to watch for, because again, as a real estate channel, we got a lot of real estate data next week. The Case Schiller Index comes out on Thursday. I still think it continues its trend, right? Case Schiller does a a ten and a twenty market survey. I think I think it's going to continue. The ten is going to be the lowest. The 20 will be next, and then nationally will be the largest number. And that just goes to show you that the Case-Shiller Index was built for the old model. The Case-Shiller Index is really for the largest 10 or 20 metros. What's not working today? Major metros, urban urban living, high-rise living, people are moving to suburbia. So I think it will be interesting to see when the talking heads on TV Realize that the Case-Shiller Index is less valuable than before because it's, it's missing where the excitement is. In addition to that, we will have both new and pending home sales. That is always interesting to watch. It is hot, hot, hot out there. Uh, so again, that is kind of the week ahead. The other thing that we could get updates on, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, J&J. J&J has had, I think it's a 30, or it might have been a 45,000 phase three trial going on. Um, they report earnings on Tuesday, I think after hours. It will be interesting to see if they report their trial data the same day they report earnings. I don't know if they will, but we shall see. I mean, we, I am looking forward to seeing what J&J has to say Um you know, somebody who's grown up with J&J products and raised a daughter with J&J products, it's, it's kind of a company that, frankly, I have faith in, rightly or wrongly. Uh, it's, I do. So we will see what they have to say with their vaccines. Uh, moving forward, talking again about real estate, it's pretty clear that there are some markets that are hot and some that are cold. Uh, this was reported, by, I think, by Money Magazine. Um, if you've been watching this channel, you should get this question right. What are the three, three coldest real estate markets out there? 
Go ahead and take a second to put them down there. I will answer it after giving you the top five hottest. So again, take a guess at the three coolest or coldest or whatever. So the top five, uh, we'll go five to one. So number five is Denver, Colorado. Number four is Tampa, Florida. And again, these are the hottest markets. Number three is Nashville, Tennessee. Number two is Phoenix, Arizona. And number one is Austin, Texas. Austin is likely to be the hottest market two years in a row. Austin had 24% appreciation last year. That's amazing. 24% and they're going to back it up with supposedly the next hottest year at 2021. All I got to say is watch out for your property taxes in Texas and specifically Austin because they reset every year and whoo. You're going to see some jump in property taxes. So as for the coldest markets, it is New York, number one, San Francisco, number two, and L.A., number three. Again, urban, bad, right? Urban, vertical, bad. Urban, sprawl, bad. Everybody's going to the suburbs. So we are very likely to see price drops, decreases in these areas, certainly activity. Uh, so that is interesting. Real quick, uh, really based on uh, Barry Habib's discussion yesterday, I, I took a look at millennial buyers, and it is going to be interesting to see if that strength continues. And not only do we have work from home, urban flight, work from anywhere, uh, but I do believe the millennial buyers are here. I believe their friends are buying, which is causing them to buy. It's kind of this recursive loop. So it's going to be interesting to buy because I believe they are the dominant force in the market. I believe baby boomers historically have been the dominant force. I believe millennials are taking that up and will continue to be the dominant force for the next 10 to 20 years. A couple of things of look of interesting on December of 2020 numbers with real estate. If you haven't known already, existing home sales in 2020 were the highest since 2006. 2006 is the last full year before the crash started. That's interesting, right? I was investing back then. I know exactly what it looked like. So that was the most active year. Value, again, nationally speaking, was up 9%. Sales in December were up 22% year on year. And that is with inventory 21% lower than normal. That's just amazing. Uh, you know, some interesting statistics. Uh, did you know that sales below 100K actually fell 15% year on year? Now, when you hear that, you go, oh my God, the market's falling apart. No, the actual answer is we've had so much home appreciation that there are just fewer homes listed below 100K. So again, watch out for those statistics. They can really mess with your mind if you're not careful. Sale of homes between 500 and 750 are up 65%. And get this, sales of homes over a million dollars, $1 million are up 94%. I find that amazing. The people feeling the greatest pain in this market of no, no inventory, cash buyers beating them out, are first-time buyers. As we wrapped up 2020, first-time buyers, 
made up 31% of the market. Historically speaking, they make up 40%. I think this is something to do with people not selling, the move up buyers, but also builders. Builders were not building first-time homes for much of 2020. And then just the last thing, equity growth. Equity growth in 2020. Again, this is an average, so take it for what it's worth. Average equity gain, if you owned a home in 2020, was $24,600. So following the one rental at a time strategy, getting to the four rentals that I talk all the time about, like all the time, if you had four in 2020, your equity gain four times 24,600, what would that be? That would be 98,600, something like that. I think so. $98,600. That's almost a hundred grand. And if you had 10, that'd be $246,000. Pretty crazy, right? Again, I think there's going to be another good year. I believe single family homes are the spot to be. I own apartments and there are quite a bit of pain right now. Uh, evictions, you can't evict. Vacancies, rents are flat. Rents are growing in single family homes. People want space. They want backyards. I'm, I'm, buying, I'm going to buy as many houses as I can. It's tough. I do think inventory is going to grow. But again, learn your market. Do the work. I'm here to help if you want. There's a link below. But of course, have a wonderful day. Uh, we will do our daily financial news tomorrow at 7.30. And if you want an hour of just question and answers, I will be back with you in about 16 minutes on this channel from my computer. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.